Hello, welcome, and thanks for joining us on Search for Truth. I'm your host, John Martin, and I introduce your Bible teaching program with Brian Johnston. Today, Brian brings us the second talk in a series of ten programs, which is called The Supremacy of Christ. Each week, Brian looks at a fresh attribute of what makes Christ the incomparable Sovereign Lord. But paradoxically, perhaps, today's title is The Humble Christ. So let's go to Brian and learn more. Thanks, John. And as you say, today's title is The Humble Christ. And that's going to take us to the Bible letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians. Now, there were a number of reasons for Paul writing this letter to the Church of God at Philippi. It was first and foremost an acknowledgement of some recent financial support he'd received from them. You can look in chapters 1 and chapter 4 and identify that. It also seems that he felt the need to emphasise the theme of joy and rejoicing to these Christian disciples. And another thing that evidently concerned Paul was a failure on the part of some of the members there to pull together as harmoniously as could be desired. And he urges them to reach agreement with one another and to pull together in joyful teamwork. Paul's diagnosis was that if each put the interests of others before his or her own interests, in other words, if there was a greater willingness to make concessions, then all would be well. He begins chapter 2 by saying, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, doing nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And it was to reinforce this that Paul quoted some now famous Bible lines which celebrate the humiliation to which Christ voluntarily submitted himself in becoming man and dying on the cross. I say he quotes them, for it's been widely agreed that in Philippians chapter 2, between verses 6 and 11, we find an early Christian hymn fragment or poetic composition, whether Paul's own work or someone else's. Paul quotes it here to give his call to unity the greatest possible support. He continues by saying, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In itself, this passage is a recital of the saving work of God in Christ, in his incarnation, passion and exaltation. But there's a major difference here. What is it, you ask? 
It's the context in which this is quoted. That's what brings fresh significance to the actions of Christ as they're rehearsed here. Remember, Paul's target here is some measure of disharmony among the Christian believers at Philippi. He'd already confronted disunity at Corinth and dealt with it in the very first chapter of his biblical letter to them. When doing that, he'd also taken them directly to the cross. Again here, Paul's spirit-directed instinct is to go to the cross to ground his appeal in the most heartfelt terms. But there's a difference here. Paul introduces this poetic summary by saying, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. In other words, the attitude shown by Christ is recommended as an example for his followers. Paul was appealing, adopt towards one another the same attitude which was found in Christ Jesus. Jesus' attitude is presented as an example of what the Philippians' attitude should be, and they're being encouraged to become like him in his death. This is what Paul meant earlier when he was asking them to decide what is best in chapter 1 verse 10, and this is the best mindset to adopt, to become like Christ even in his death. So here in Philippians chapter 2, it's not so much the actions of Christ, but the attitude behind them which is the focus. And by God's help, we, as well as they, are to try to copy it. Attitude has always been as important, if not more important to God, than any actions a person may do. Remember how the Lord criticised the religious leaders of Israel. He says in Matthew 15 verse 7, You hypocrites! Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, This people honours me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. Things had got so bad back at the time of the end of the Old Testament that God said through the last Bible prophet Malachi, God said to his people, A son honours his father, and a servant his master. Then, if I am a father, where is my honour? And if I am a master, where is my respect? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, How have we despised your name? You are presenting defiled food upon my altar. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates, that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from you. What a strength of feeling comes across in those words. The heart of God is expressing itself. They were kindling fire on God's altar, but it was useless because the attitude of the worshippers actually despised God rather than exalting him. And God recorded in the Bible book of Chronicles those kings which did the right things and those kings which not only did the right things but did them with the right attitude or with their whole heart. So it's right for us to praise God that Christ is as supreme in his attitude as he is supreme in his actions. In glorious, infinite contrast to God's commentary on Israel's performance, the Father opened the heavens and declared that he was well pleased with his Son, Jesus Christ, who did always the things which were pleasing to the Father. 
Well, coming back to Philippians chapter 2, the quoted hymn begins by asserting that Christ, existing already in the form of God, did not put a false estimation on equality with God. Instead, he chose to display the form of God in the form of a slave. One commentator paraphrases the opening in this way. He, though existing before the worlds in the form of God, did not treat his equality with God as a prize, as a treasure to be greedily clutched and ostentatiously displayed. On the contrary, he resigned the glories of heaven. And that commentator adds, this is the common and indeed almost universal interpretation of the Greek fathers, who would have the most lively sense of the requirements of the language. I think we need to pause there and absorb the words, equality with God. How utterly foolish and deceived are the cults who deny the equality of Jesus the Son with God the Father. But... And this is where it gets breathtaking. Despite having equality with the Father as his eternal right, the Son of God, revealed to us as Jesus, did not regard equality with God as a vantage point for achieving his personal ambitions. Precisely the opposite, in fact. He actually treated his equality with God as an occasion for renouncing every advantage or privilege to which he was entitled. He regarded his equality with God as an opportunity not for self-enrichment, but for self-impoverishment and self-sacrifice. This is so amazing that it has confused some, as we've just been thinking, into rejecting his actual equality with God. How tragic, for this should be the very pinnacle of our praise. This is not the only place where Paul points to Christ's self-denial as being an example for his people. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9 is another place where Paul encourages generous giving to the Jerusalem Relief Fund by supplying as an incentive the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who though he was rich, yet for your sakes became poor, that through his poverty you might become rich. There he uses his own language, but here, in Philippians chapter 2, he appears to have used a readily available form of words. In a Roman colonial city that resounded to the cry, Caesar is Lord, at all civic events, the Philippian Christians marched to a different drumbeat, one that said, Christ is Lord. By emptying himself, by plumbing the depths of humiliation, Christ has now been honoured by God with the name high over all, the designation Lord in its highest sense. The God who in the Old Testament declares, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other, swears by himself, to me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. But now, says Paul, By God's own decree, every knee is to bow in Jesus' name, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and in so doing they will enhance, not diminish, the glory of God. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess Him,
Now again, as usual, I remind you that with this series there's a transcript booklet containing all ten talks. And it's free, so if you'd like one or more, please tell us. And remember to ask for the title, The the Supremacy of Christ. Now, if you've got a pen and paper to hand, I'm about to give you our contact details. So here's our postal and then our email address. Search for Truth, Church of God, Downing Drive, Leicester, LE56LN, UK. I'll repeat that more slowly. Search for Truth, Church of God, Downing Drive, Leicester, LE56LN, UK. And our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. Now, did you know by looking up www dot searchfortruth.org.uk you'll find our church's main website where you can download some actual programs and their accompanying transcripts as well as accessing other helpful material anyway that's all we have for now so thanks once again for listening we really do appreciate your interest in these programs and next week is the third talk in this series so please join us if you can until then Very best wishes from Brian, David, our singers, and me, John. So goodbye, and may God richly bless you. Amen.